is really the only kind of athlete that matters these days. I think it is, honestly. Matt's the top. I know, I saw. Welcome to Practical Shooting After Dark. You guys know the deal. Everybody comes here with, uh, you know, topics to talk about. On deck tonight, we have Mr. Hopkins. Hi. Mr. Park. Hello. Mr. Turner. Hi. Mr. Kim. I should say Professor Kim. I'm sorry. (laughs) <laughs> thank you and you didn't do 13 years in engineering school to be called mister <laughs> whatever however long you get three degrees for that right i have no idea <laughs> i get like minors with it like physics and mathematics minor hey yeah it's just you know uh, all right guys well everybody knows the deal everybody comes with something fun so who'd like to go first who's who's got something strong to lead off with I think Kim right. does. Kim, Kim does. Mine's not as strong, I would I, say. All right. but... I have, I, I'll lead off because I have something I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this weekend, I'm flying down to Miami. I'll be taking and videoing a rifle uh, rifle uh, pistol class with Mr. Frank Proctor. Does that sound... Yeah. You guys are oh, nodding. Yeah. 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 Frank, I mean, Frank is quite excellent. Uh, to plug training group, there's an interview Ben and I did with Frank, it's, uh, I don't know, like an hour and a half, something like that. That was quite good. But yes. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, we talked, awesome. we talked in the last show about off season. So um, it's not really my job description that I have to be good with a, a rifle for the most part. So it's like, hey, the off season is a perfect time to go do something a little different. I'm going to be in a, you know, a tactical Timmy class. The weekend warrior guys are coming out. Shoot the rifle a little bit. I'll shoot a Glock with a dot on it a little bit in the class. You know, get some video, and I'm I'm looking forward to it because it's just going to be a nice, fun, laid back time, doing things a little differently than what we, what I normally do. So I'm I'm really looking forward to it. And Frank's Frank's like a genuinely nice dude. So he is. Yeah, I mean, there's really no downside to this. That and going, uh, staying on South Beach, Miami, is not was, it's not too bad in December. I don't think. I was going to say Miami. That's that's not bad either. Yeah, it's it's going to be all right. They got some pretty slamming food there, so. I'm definitely excited about it. And the footage will be coming to training group as well. So awesome. I get to win big and everybody else wins a little bit too. If they're a training group member, if they want to watch that footage, I'll be wearing a hat cam for the drills. I'll be videoing the instruction with a lav mic. So it'll be nice, good audio. And uh, yeah, should I'm, I'm looking forward to it for sure. Good. Very nice. Now we can, now yeah. Mr. Kim, professor, yes, take my- it away. My topic is somewhat connecting to yours. So uh, I wanted to share a little bit of the experience I had on the last match. Uh, It's called two-gun practical rifle or two-gun practical match. And there's two more matches. Uh, I wanted to shoot one of them, but I have hip issue right now, so I can't move. So I'm not shooting it, which is in the coming week or next weekend. Um, It's also two-gun match. And then there's another match that's going to be most likely in April uh, that Max Leo Grandis is now helping with the match, working, uh, you know, design rules, stuff like that. So there's going to be multi-day match there. Uh, I heard it's going to be two days. So I shot this match, uh, two-gun practical match, uh, at my local match. It's got a little bit different. Uh, I, well, as far as I know, any two-gun matches, there's no organization behind it so the rules are different depends on the uh, matches and my match had actually a lot of 
law enforcement and military related people too in the match. So uh, one of the interesting thing was that you are allowed to have sling or actually you are mandatory to have sling. There's no resting rack, so there's no rifle rack you can put in, in the middle of the stage. You have to have a retention of both firearms, rifle and pistols. So there is a specific rule like sling is necessary, but if you whatever chance sling is not there uh, during the match, then you have to at least hold the rifle with one hand, shoot pistol one one handed only. So you That's have awesome. to have retention. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So basically everybody had the sling uh, and during the match too, like people, they're not, uh, it's not mandatory to bag it. So just unload your clear flag into the chamber and then just use the sling the whole entire match if you wanted to. If you want to get, you know, get rid of the weight, then you can definitely bag it too. Uh, one, the specific range had little different target safety rules. So a steel target has to be shot at 100 if, you're, if it's shot with a rifle. So any steel target, actually the furthest shot at the match was somewhere around 100 yards. And there was only two, three targets, I remember, uh, that you had to shoot 100 yards with a rifle. So uh, one stage was very short, so short course, which I really liked. It's basically activating big popper at 100 yards and shoot a bobber going up and down. Oh, wow. Yes. Uh, the system scoring system is not like ABCD score. It's a two shots anywhere on the target or one alpha hit. Uh, that's going to be neutralizing the target. So if it's a bobber target, uh, all you need is one alpha to be safe. But obviously at 100 yards, bobber moving up and down, you don't want to shoot one shot at it. You definitely want to shoot a couple of shots at it. So that was a very interesting stage. And uh, also, a couple stages were blind stage, so no walkthrough. So there's a bay, like deep into a bay, and like you have to walk in around a little bit, like isolated, basically. You can't really see it further away outside of the bay. So you can't even like see it. Only the RO can go in uh, for scoring and only people who shot can go in and paste, help paste. So that was an interesting stage too. So you don't know what's going to be there inside the bay. Uh, so again, the rule is if there's any steel target that's close distance, so except one bay, every steel target had to be shot with a pistol. And uh, paper was whatever you choose. You can shoot pistol with it, rifle with it. Uh, it's up to you. And there was like two stages that had uh, kind of like a version account, but they're forcing how many rounds in the rifle. So they're enforcing that the bolt locked back reload. Is mm -hmm. that right? Bolt yeah. lock reload. Yeah, yeah. Like an empty yeah, reload. Yeah. Emergency yes. reload. Yeah. So that was very interesting. Uh, of course, the gun transition is really fun. Uh, dropping your rifle, uh, trying to not hit the muzzle on your you know, precious area and grab the gun out of the holster. <laughs> That's very something that I haven't practiced, So, but I didn't enjoy myself. Uh, when I watch people doing transitions or running with the gun, it's absolutely safe. Uh, there was just one incident where, so most of the shooters over there had pretty much dedicated 
uh, holsters. So some people are running their duty holster where it has like a retention device, level two, something like that. Um, there were a com couple USB-SA competitors had like a USB-SA ejection cutout holsters. And I saw one dude accidentally dropping a gun. Uh, but fortunately for me, I brought like a tall holster. There's no locking device, but it's covering all the way up to the ejection port uh, closer to the optic. I shot the same gun. So holster is something probably what you should be considering because you're going to be running around uh, the pistol inside the holster. So good uh, locking, adjusting knob kind of thing. And then I really wanted to shoot this match. Uh, so basically it's in Seattle area too. Uh, it's three days match, but you can shoot. There's three different style of match, uh, but you can pick how many of them you want to shoot. You can uh, shoot one, two, three, how many. But the most interesting thing is this has been uh, many years so far. It's called Vision X Night Match. So you're shooting at night, low vision. Targets are neon color. So it could be orange or neon green kind of color. And they, some stages, they have some sort of light. It could be like the siren light, like a cop blue light. Could mm -hmm. be one stage. It could be just regular flashlight using stage. So that match can So you be said flashlight? Yes. Flashlight? Everybody okay. has flashlights. Sounded like something their... else. Yeah. So they have like... <laughs> so you guys are slow today. Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, weapon might mount light. Yes, yeah, weapon mount light. Explain to Kim what you thought it was. Okay? I'm not gonna do that. His wife, his wife has had to teach him so much of my vocabulary already. We can't put him through anything else. Uh huh. Uh, so do people have like lights on their carbines then, like a pressure pad or tape switch, something like that? Is that what yes. you used to shoot with then? Cool. Yes. There's divisions, of course. So night match. I think night match can be only shot with one gun, as far as I remember. But the daytime match, uh, there's two gun uh, specific on it. Oh, so gotcha. that match has a rack. So you just rest your uh, rest your rifle in the middle of the stage. You start with pistol or something like that, or start with rifle and just rest it in the in the rack kind of thing. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to the Mexico Grand. This is a uh, two gun match. I'm most likely going to be shooting that match. Um, I think that's going to be really fun. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's fun going to the range and you're just having fun sometimes. You don't have to really, like, accomplish anything. You're just going to have a good time. Yes. Fantastic. Well, man, that's... Well, I will be, we'll have to hear back about this match after the fact. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure... Well, you'll be posting footage to training group, I'm sure, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, I can't wait to see that. Uh, Hopkins, I'm guessing you don't have a topic, and that's totally no, I cool don't. don't. But I wanted to ask Kim one thing. Yeah, Kim, do you think there would be there would be more participation in something like this if there was a national organization with a set set of rules? Yes, because that's more, uh, I guess, hospitable. So more clubs can be definitely uh, interested in is one thing. Uh, of course. Having an organization behind it helps the marketing uh, part as well. And to be honest, I think uh, right now the trend is more of a tactical stuff than practice, or I should say racing type. So when people are nowadays, when they're going on social media, uh, 
what they want to see, majority of people, uh, what they want to see is cool stuff that's like a, you know, Call of Duty or Operator kind of stuff <laughs> rather than wearing uh, orange colored jersey, uh, people using a big giant red dot and shooting with a big comp. I mean, that's interesting too, of course. But the trend right now is more of two-gun competition side. So I can see having actual organization and do things like a business or sports, I should say. Doing things like a big sports, it's definitely going to be uh, making it grow big time. Yeah. All right. Uh, Tyler, am I guessing no topic? No, I have a, a topic. Oh, no, let's hear one. it. So I, I read this article the other day uh, about the uh, the components crisis or ammunition crisis. Actually, I think uh, Vista Outdoors is the parent company of CCI Federal, and I think they bought Remington Ammo Division. But I read that they have a billion dollar backlog, which continues to grow. Yes. And I know a lot of guys in the sport are feeling the crunch for components. Um and I'm just curious uh, talk to you guys about that, see if you're feeling the crunch, um, make any kind of prognostications about uh, how it's going to affect uh, shooting, training for people, um, stuff like that. Because, you know, a billion-dollar backlog is insane. And we all know that Federal is sending every primer they manufacture into Federal loaded ammunition, and the same for every other ammunition manufacturer out there and so i you know i think we'll probably get powder i think you know we'll still be able to get bullets probably but uh primers i think uh will be the the bottleneck for us reloaders and i think i think it's going to last I think what do you think is going to happen politically i mean it all depends on how the political situation shapes up well uh it's not gonna be good <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't. So are people buying fewer firearms? Like, no, I mean, demand, demand for everything in guns continues to grow. Like it, 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 it's not showing any signs of stopping. And I think, you know, as. Well, so the question would be, then what would cause it to, to the demand to slow down? Well, I, I don't see I don't see that it will for the foreseeable future. So I think, I mean, a lot of people are going to be, I don't know, rationing if they're not already out. Yeah. I mean. Well, the good part also is that it's the off season, like for us. So, you know, there's still like at least my local spots. Uh, I maybe have connections to some of them. So I get like a text message to get stuff in. And uh, I mean, they're still getting stuff. So where a lot of people right now aren't, you know, shooting competitively, probably like Dude, uh, my watch says it's 35 here right now. I don't have any desire to go to the range. So that's a good time to be stocking up on stuff anyway. And uh, hopefully everybody, you know, operates this way. But I don't buy reloading components like I buy bread and milk. So it's not like a seven-day supply. So, you know, having extra stuff on hand hopefully is stuff that people do. And, you know, well, let, if let not, me go supply will catch up. Let me go another also, route then. How how expensive would primers have to be if you could get them double. Like on the double before you'd stop reloading? No, not me. Double before enough motherfuckers would stop reloading so you could have them available on store shelves. Yeah. And they're beyond I, I would right still 
Because go yeah, on, yeah. just just for your own amusement, go on Gunbroker or your local uh, sales forum. I'm going Gunbroker right now for your it, It's absolutely, it's, it's way it, above double right now. Oh, it's way right, above But I wouldn't double. even, I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't even really count this as availability. It would be like, it'd have to be double at like a Bass Pro Shop or like, like at a retail level, it's going to have to the, be double. The, what the inflated price. Yeah. I mean, People are paying like 15 cents primer right now. So, so. Yeah, so I'm, I'm seeing inside the industry a little bit. I kind of know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, people are paying ridiculous prices for primers. So, God, I should the, way these primers. Big, hmm? the way these big companies go, say you're at a gun shop and you put an order in directly with Federal, right? You put an order in for way more than you want what you actually want. So you put an order in for double of what you want. So you really only want one pallet when you ordered two because they're not going to give you two pallets right away right when you put the order in, right? I, I don't. So what you're saying is they, they don't and, know what the demand is. That's what you're saying. They do not know what the actual demand is right yeah. now. Correct. And where was I going? Oh, we'll figure it out. <laughs> so they put these orders in, and the people with the biggest orders get the first shipments. So if someone has a semi-truck load of ammo on order, or let's say they have two semi-truck loads of ammo, Federal's going to send to the biggest orders first, or whoever this is. Let's not even use names, whatever. But anybody that makes sense, like they're going to do a big order versus a thousand small orders, right? It's just like economy of scale. Yeah, it's way less work. And a lot of these companies right now are doing orders to people that are paying immediately they're not putting stuff on terms or anything anymore like like if they have a pallet to ship they're expecting payment right now and then they ship the stuff out so th like the million the billion dollars on back order yes there probably is a billion dollars on back order but there's probably some amount less than that on actual demand mm-hmm so you're saying it's a little artificially inflated. It's 100% artificially no inflated. Idea. But also, I think the issue with people not stocking up is they came in in the last four years. It's been historically low prices on all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. What we would call normal. So people didn't stock up. They didn't know an election. like They weren't around when the last time this happened. So no one stocked up. There's going to be stuff. And they're so used to these. Well, Matt, there's, it, 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 it's more than that. There's a lot of people now who, who have just been shooting factory ammunition their whole shooting career. Yeah. If they, if maybe they started two years ago and they've just been shooting factory. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So and they're in a tough spot that, too. Though, like, but like during these high surges in demand, there's going to be higher prices. So if you want to stay shooting, you're going to have to realize it's going to cost more. Yeah. You're not going to be able to load for two cents a primer and six cents a bullet or eight cents a bullet. Like you're going to be paying instead of eight cents a round, you're going to be paying like 15 cents a round for, and then if you buy a factory, it's like 60 cents a round. So you're still getting a better deal, but you are going to have to pay inflated prices. If you don't have inventory on hand already. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, I mean, you think it's going to depress uh turnout and depress shooting in the next year? The next season. Yes. I don't think it will. I think people will still shoot matches. I don't think they'll. No, it will depress turnout, of course, obviously. 
I don't think it will. It won't depress your turnout, but the, the people who are on the margin, the people who are on the bubble, like instead of shooting three club matches a month, maybe they shoot two. Just because, I, you know, I don't know. I don't see it. I think there'll be more. You people. don't think There's, that's going to happen? I don't think so. You don't people think that? Not... Okay. I'm sure Foley think... will provide a financial report at some point to show us how the activity uh, credits are doing or whatever, and we can we can look at the data together and uh, you know assess it. Maybe for, we'll for me, that's what matters: is participation. So. The, one of the your local matches I shot, there was a new shooter, and uh, he was asking me like, "Hey, like I literally can't find ammo, and I can't shoot next match because I can't find ammo." So for newcomers, I think it's gonna be a big issue. Yeah, yeah. I think there's also gonna be a set of newcomers that are use that think this price is normal, and they're gonna buy ammo to shoot. So I think it'll offset itself. Okay. Well, guys, I think time is going to tell on this one, and uh, it feels like uh, we should move on to Joel to talk now about so hopefully something unrelated. Perfect. Uh, well, so, I mean, I've been talking a lot about shooting a carry optics gun, I guess. It's fun learning something new. Um, learning a new gun kind of always, it's kind of fun because it's like it's starting over from scratch, I suppose, kind of in a way. And uh, just in training with this dumb thing, like I've realized how much, how important the draw really is and not for the reasons some people would think, I guess. Um, so the draw really isn't like, I don't really care about how fast somebody could whip the gun out of the holster and fire off one shot. It doesn't really matter. Um, but working with this gun is interesting because like it's so essential to grip the gun in the right spot. Uh, the way my support hand hits the gun, the way I'm like, you know, the gun sitting in my hand just perfectly it really sets, I mean, not necessarily so drastic as success mm -hmm. or failure, but it's like really essential. And in my own training, it's just been kind of fun to, I guess, revisit stuff that maybe I take for granted because, I mean, I've shot my, my tan foes for so many years. I just, you know, I look at a spot, whip the gun out of the holster, it shows up where I want it to. More often than not, I have a, like, I won't say a perfect grip, but a very, very good grip that I'm really, really happy. And then training with something new has been really fun because I don't always get the perfect grip. It's like, well, What's going on? Why is that? I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess this really is important. And I kind of just sometimes I think it's easy to lose track of things, maybe even just for speaking for myself when you, you know, you take it for granted how easy it is to draw the gun or load the gun or something like that. So having a fast draw time does definitely correlate to stage times and your ability to shoot through the stage fast. Um, but it's just super important to, like, grip the gun properly and have it show up at the exact right spot in your hands because, you know, for whatever shots you shoot before you reload the gun or move positions, uh, a compromised grip is going to cost you time points. If you have a really compromised grip, you're going to maybe shoot reactively. So you've got like a, you know, the gun's not recoiling the way you want it to. So anyway, uh, all that babbling, it's just been fun to learn something new. And uh, again, kind of just regret revisiting, like the grip is super important. And when I draw the gun, having the gun in the right spot in my hands is extremely important. And yeah, something I was probably taking for granted. So for red dot, it, you lose a lot more time if the red dot is not inside the window. Uh, true. For, yeah, for iron sight, if the yeah. sight wasn't aligned, I mean, you can still sh see where the front sight is misaligned from. But mm -hmm. for especially like weekend transition with the red dot and you don't have the dot inside the window, then you see a lot of people like jerking the gun left to right and then sure. finally <laughs> finding, yeah. And it's not so much like looking down to find where my gun's at in my holster, but 
But even if you're just a little bit low under the beaver tail or shifted down a little bit left or a little bit right, it's just not in that like perfect spot where you want it to be. Um, makes me appreciate, I guess, the amount of time I've spent on other, like my Tanfo, where I just whip the gun out of the holster and it's where I want it to be. I just look at the spot, the sights show up there. So anyway. Yeah. All right, Joel, you're making sense as usual. I try. So, yeah. You're like so logical, it's a little bit boring. Uh, should, I'm sorry. You should work in some some sex jokes. I like those. I feel like the, the just practical, joke of, shooting, practical yeah. shooting Mr. Spock. Yeah, just joke about um joke about like bathing suit parts. You know? It's covered by a bathing suit. It's fair game for jokes. Okay. No, you're not gonna do um, that. All right. Let's I'm move on to a question, question, guys. Yes. Ben, gang. What is the etiquette for asking for an overlay on a potential double at a major match like nationals or area or sectional? If you are an A, B, C class, do you ask for an overlay for every mic and hope the RO is generous or let it be? Is the perfect double really a thing? Is it okay to be annoyed when someone asks for an overlay every time there's a mic? Thanks. Um, I think we'll all have a little different answer on this because it's a nuanced question. Do we go uh, Matt, one by one or all of them? Oh, I just... Well, I don't know, Matt. Like, just tell me, like, what do you think about the topic? If you could lay it out. Well, there's no proper way to do it. Like, you don't do that. Like, it doesn't make any sense. You're holding up your squad. You're holding up the match. You're creating a reputation for yourself. Like, you just don't do it. And, like... Is there any circumstances you could do it? Well, I think if you have a 20-plus yard swinger and the match no, no. is really, really important... <laughs> Is and there you any shoot it in one pass, do it. and you shoot it in one pass. Yes, that there is, is when you do it. That's the only time. <laughs> hey, I like how you're going back six years to do this. Well, Matt, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna come at you personally now. Okay. I was on your squad. I witnessed you shoot what I believe to be a perfect double, or as close to perfect as I've ever seen. I watched you do it. I actually caught it on video. Yeah, you remember yeah. this? I this do was remember this. This, this was yeah. this year. You yeah. didn't fight it at all. I there would was not nothing have. I could do. I had no recourse for it. No, you didn't. You didn't really have any recourse. But if they'd allowed, if they would have allowed video evidence, and they and the RO, well, I mean, if if the RO was allowed to look at the video, they would have seen it the way I saw it. Because I I I thought you had a double. Then I went and I looked at the video that I shot, and I'm like, yes, that's definitely a double, just based on the circumstance. Of like what I what based on what's shown in the video, like I I determined like without doubt that you'd shot a double. You remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, I remember the exact target stage, everything. So all that. if you'd had the tools to fight that, like if the video had been allowed and you'd have fought that, I wouldn't have thought any less of you. So to be honest. Yeah, but like looking at the target, and there wasn't even a hint of a second ring or oblong or anything. Like there was literally nothing. There. I understand. Had the video been allowed and you fought it, would would you have been wrong to do so? I guess not. No. Like it. I mean, it was there. Like, are there any I other circumstances nothing. you're not wrong? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, this is for anybody. Can anybody think of any other circumstance where you're not wrong to fight this? Because I feel like we're all going to say, don't be a bitch and, and, and ask for an overlay every time. I think right. that's horrible. I think doing that is horrible. I think oh, if, you, if you do it just as a matter of course, yes. like that's just your habit that's... or your procedure every time you have a mic. Yeah, that's, that's unsportsmanlike. It is. It's a dick move. Yeah, and you're going to and be I... known for that behavior. 
Well, no. Well, how problem. about this? What if, if you get it? What if you get a double? People I do. saw. That's why they do this. That's why. Right, they do I'll this. tell you guys a story. Uh, this is going back a while. This is going back like 15 years when I was an RO at my section match, and I watched. You know, a guy plugged one into the dirt. Like uh, he was transitioning. He was transitioning activator, static target, then moving target. He shot the activator, and then he dra he dragged the gun right through the low the low static target, and it was one alpha and one miss. I watched his sh shots go into the dirt. Um, I didn't argue with the guy. I was just like, yeah, I just see one hole. He he went to the range master. The range master flipped it and overturned it because of the close range of the target, I think. And the guy picked up a division win because of this. I watched that happen, and it happened on a target that I called a mic. And to this day, I was wrong for not fighting harder with the range master because I let the range master make the call I shouldn't have. I should have argued with him. Like this stuff can be a big deal because the guy on the other end of that, the guy who had the division championship taken away from him at that match, that guy quit practicing forever. Never started again. He quit essentially. This can have big effects on people. So yeah. like, well, letting you, you someone know, do this stuff is not cool. You got, what kinda, if you get it? Yeah. I mean, you got two kind of issues at play. What, people do it for, for, for two reasons like either it's just uh the culture uh that's been cultivated where they shoot in their region or they do it because sometimes it works and it's worth the gamble either way is wrong if that's your culture in your the place you shoot you should work to change that because it's not right uh if you do it because uh occasionally it pays off and you run into a weak-willed ro or someone who just all shucks about it well then then you're an asshole uh you know, plain and simple. Um, <laughs> the other side of this is that ROs, and there was a video that USPSA put out a while back, and it was specifically about use of the overlay. Uh, you know, I've got some bones to pick with that, but I think <laughs> that. Uh, Wait, you know, USPSA on, put out I, a video that you didn't agree with? Yeah. Ben, ben, are you laughing that Tyler watched a video or USPSA put a video out? <laughs> um, I'm laughing at the whole thing. Like USPSA put out a cheesy video, and Tyler bothered to watch it, and Tyler let himself be annoyed by stuff that was well, in the video, which I would have known that there'd be annoying shit in there anyway without watching it. I just saved myself the hassle and skipped the whole thing. You know, it, perfect doubles <laughs> happen. It's it's got to be an extraordinarily rare thing to have happen statistically. Um, you know, eventually, if you shoot long enough, it's going to happen to you and you're going to get burned on one. But, man, I would rather get burned on one, you know, once or twice in my shooting career uh, than pick up two, three, four, five freebies uh, by asking for it every time. Um, you know, that that's kind of baked into it. The like I said, it's so statistically uh, improbable uh, and infrequent. Uh, but I, I think a lot of ROs, uh, I, for whatever reason, in an effort to be conciliatory or to give the shooter the benefit of the doubt, which <laughs> I, I hate that, by the way. But uh, I don't know if you do do this, if you do have this as a practice, I think you'd probably be surprised by how often it works, how often if you just uh, – fight it a little bit 
how often you can get an RO to roll over. And it doesn't have to be on a double, an overlay call. I mean, it could be any number of calls. But uh, if you bully ROs, or if you if you don't have a, 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 a if you don't go into this and you see something, see some evidence that you can base your overlay call on, then you're you're plain and simple wrong. It is wrong. Let me say something that might be my crazy talk for like the quarter. Uh, <laughs> your your behavior at matches speaks to your integrity. So if you if I, let's say I shoot a stage, I unload to show clear, and I walk directly to a target. I'm not really interested in the rest of the scoring. I walk directly to a target because I thought uh, I'm not so sure about that. I think maybe I pulled off that target. I get there. There's one hole. I don't care what distance it is. I'm like, yep, I already suspected something was up. I look at that hole kind of carefully. Like, yep, that's only one hole. The RO walks up. He's like, oh, you want to look at this target or whatever? And he's like going to pull out his, R his overlay. I'm like, it's not there. You don't have to look. Like, I, I'm pretty sure I pulled off that target. I've done that before. Where, like, maybe I could have, uh, maybe a match I'm favored to win or that uh, I'm doing quite well at, or that maybe the RO knows me. Like, I'm not even going to have him get out an overlay if I know it's not there. But there have also been situations where, you know, they get in a hurry. They're scoring. It's like, you know, they don't, they don't quite see it. I'm like, oh, if, if I, if you don't, like, I would like you to look at this target, please. There's a, if you look at it, it's kind of oval shape, look at the left side, whatever. And I've got some specific detail, obviously, without touching the target. He pulls out, like, yeah, that actually is too. And I, you know, I called it good. I can see, I can tell, articulate what I see. Then that's not unsportsmanlike at all. Like, hey, I see this. Would, would you look at what I see? I think there's legitimately two shots there. Maybe you get it, maybe you don't. Um, but the way you conduct yourself is, you know, what you're going to be known by. So I wouldn't want to, it's not a good look to just argue like what you're saying, uh, regardless if you think it's there or not, or you know it's not there, to see if you can get something for free. This hold, isn't, go ahead, sorry. Hold on, Joel. Would you draw a distinction between a guy arguing in bad faith, a guy who just, as a matter of course, slaps down the overlay, or like once the overlay is going to argue it, versus somebody who genuinely believes, I mean, even if you can't tell the difference, mm -hmm. if somebody genuinely believes that they're, you mean that the call should go a certain way, would you treat them the same way? You have to, because obviously you can't, you can't really? speak to the way that person feels. Well, what if, what if me watching somebody shoot, it's like, it's obvious to me the shot's not there. And that guy's like, Hey, I think it went there. Would you get your overlay? Whatever. Well, like, I mean, no, you're going to call it the way you're going to call it, but the difference mm -hmm. would be whether or not you're going to punch his douche card. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, that's not for me to decide. The internet will take care of that. No, you get to decide if you punch someone's douche card. <laughs> that's your choice. Always. Yeah. You don't uh, have to leave that to anyone else. But, you know, like some sports, uh, and I'm not a big sports person, but some, like, they always argue with the referee. Like, it seems like you watch a football game. Like, it doesn't matter what the call is. Somebody's always, like, shouting at the referee, like, USPSA should not be that. The Cold Treater Club should not be that. I if disagree completely with you, Joel. Truly. Right, really? I don't have a, I don't have a, if you're arguing with the RO in good faith, like you believe you're right. Yes, yes, in good faith. Argue with the fucking RO. Argue with them. Yes, go for it. Yeah, yeah, maybe you, you understand what I'm saying. You some naughty no-no words. I don't have a problem with it. If you're competing without passion, why the fuck are you here? Honestly. Okay. Seriously. What I'm saying, I was yes, so passionate at nationals this year. I got kicked off a stage by an RO because I was trying to help another competitor with a call. Good. <laughs> I, got, I got told to go to the back and sit down on the bench. 
<laughs> no, no, it's like, good, it's good like faith is totally fine. Oh, we've got a crew of people. This is your we'll hobby. This over. is like your whole thing. You mm-hmm. pour yourself into this, and like it, you're you're not you're not going to argue with a range officer when they're wrong. Like, are you serious? In I good mean, faith I, is totally different. Yes, if you definitely like, I know what I saw. I know what I felt. This is, but arguing out of just for the sake of arguing in bad faith, so to speak, is definitely not okay. Yeah, and it's you can tell it's bad faith when they do it every time. Correct. That's how you can tell for sure. Yeah, and you can you can be wrong. You can objectively be wrong. Yeah, and still argue in in good faith because we've all seen the guy who he he believes. Like with all of his heart, I sw- I saw in the same hole, <laughs> and then it's and then a squad mates and you yeah. behind him, like you distinctly saw, <laughs> <laughs> but you know he believes in his heart of hearts that yeah. it's a perfect double. That's fine. Like just yes. humor that guy, and look, like a lot of guys don't want to see nuance anywhere, and so <laughs> ROs can be wrong. ROs can work in bad faith. They can work in good faith. Shooters can work in, in bad or good faith. And sometimes you just get a collision where it's just a cluster all around. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's nuance here. To me, like, it all boils down to your integrity. If you have it and, and you have a sincere belief that something's there, like, you owe it to yourself as a competitor to ask for the second opinion. Or if you're convinced of it, what is it? Was it, uh, what's the quote? Be sure you're right, then go ahead. Yeah. Davy Crockett or whatever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah, I have no idea. There's an entire subculture in the sport that thinks calling for doubles is a matter of fact and something you do. Yeah, it's be sure it's you're available. right. Go ahead. Yeah. Was it Davy Crockett? It was. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I was that. gonna say you ask for overlay when you know you deserve it. Yeah. Like when you know you deserve it. You you're not sure if you deserve it. If the, yeah, if there's any doubt when it comes to perfect double time, then there is no doubt. <laughs> so, like, think like on like the high plane. Thinking about USPSA, like the prime ideal is that everyone always gets exactly what they earned. So every like every Alpha, every Charlie, every Mike is is correctly tabulated. Like so, any your behavior should be such that it 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 leads to a more accurate result. It should be that way for ROs and a competitor. Because that's the essence of the sport, of sport, period. Otherwise, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> Playing gun golf. Gun golf. Yeah. For fun. Right, your own I mean, even, <laughs> yeah. Well, anybody have something left to say on this topic? Because I feel like Tyler pretty much nailed it. As he usually does. Well, that's all we've got. Listeners, thank you for uh, turning up for the podcast. We always enjoy, you know, the spicy listener questions. If you have a question you'd like the answer to, go to bensticker.com, send me your question, and we'll address it in the next show. You know, is it a bang up podcast, Joel? It was okay. It was okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're impossible. <Good. laughs>